All right, everybody, welcome to Crystal Kylan, friends. Obviously, things are a wee bit different today in terms of how uh, we're set up. Crystal and I got a lot going on. A lot of, you know, a lot of important little personal things that we're <laughs> attending to that, uh, you know, that we can't exactly be uh, in the studio at the right time on the right days, and we got to do some extra content and all sorts of stuff. So anyway, that's a long way, a long, mysterious, cryptic way of saying, Get over the fact that we're <laughs> we're sitting separately in this weird yes. situation right now. And also a long cryptic way of saying we are getting married this weekend. So, yes. yeah, we have a few extra Everybody things going you. on. And um, we are not going to be off, though, next week, technically, from Crystal Kyle and Friends because we're going to record an extra episode. Yeah. So or, we'll be there for you guys. Or from the Kyle Klinsky show. And I know there's still Breaking Point Ryan's stuff coming out. Ryan's going to fill in for me on Breaking Points, So right, I will be yeah. out over there. And, but uh, I know he will Mac, do a, a wonderful, capable job. Mac, good politic guy, is going to be filling in for uh, for me for uh, while we're on our honeymoon and stuff. So that's cool. I'll also, I also have some pre-recorded stuff that's going to be uh, dropping as well. So originally, uh, Kyle fun. was like, originally Kyle was like, I could just record some videos while we're on our honeymoon. I was like, true, no, babe. <laughs> I, you're saying that <laughs> we're going to actually unplug or try to. That's true. Well, you're, I was going to say you're saying that now, but everybody's going to be against you in the comments because they all want to see that. <laughs> we should have just uh, we should have just gotten that AI dude to like record a bunch more oh like God. debates between the two of us and post them like they're real. My AI doing my show would be like, and these Republicans are really crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, your AI, like you said, it sort of like sounded a little bit like you and Ben Shapiro put together. So that's true. Yeah. Who knows what kind of like weird takes might slip in there. Since yeah. the AI is far from perfected, which is probably a yeah. good thing. That's true. All right. So uh, we got, uh, I'm actually very excited for the show today because we have Mark Bankston on. Now, for those of you who don't know who he is, he was, in my opinion, the best lawyer in the Alex Jones defamation trial. He's the one who like went viral the most and I think made the best arguments and brought the most evidence. He very famously played videos of... Uh, of Alex Jones basically saying one thing and then like he would play a video of him saying the opposite like Jones would say something in court and then Mark would be like click and it would just be him saying the opposite and oh he's like God. what about wow. that so he did a phenomenal job in the trial but here's why it's timely and interesting to talk to him now of course I want to bring talk about the Alex Jones thing because I'm very interested in defamation law and the first amendment and things of that nature but also you have the Smartmatic uh, lawsuit against Fox News. You have the Dominion settlement, which just happened. You know, he probably has some insight into that. As well as now you got threats of lawsuits flying around from Steven Crowder and Candace Owens. You got extortion and defamation and all these different things they're accusing each other of. So um, I'll, I find it really, I'll find it really interesting to dive into, like, the legal aspect of this. Because, look, from my default perspective is always like, yeah, free speech, <laughs> right? Like, most of the time it's like, yeah, free speech. But there are instances, like with the Fox case in particular, and even with the Alex Jones case, where it's like, it's like, is it really free speech to lie on purpose, and we know that right. you're lying, and it is like sort of dragging the name of, of somebody or something through the mud? Um, is it really free speech to basically hawk a conspiracy so much that the parents of dead shooting victims get harassed? You know, like there's, if, if like, yeah. If you're going to have any rules, it would seem that rules would prevent like that. You know what I mean? Well, you know, there's and there's another there's actually a ton of things we could talk to him about, because also 
uh, reportedly part of what pushed Tucker Carlson out at Fox News was that, you know, he'd gone deep into the like January 6th conspiracies and in particular, some of the ones focused around this guy named Ray Epps who uh, was seen as being, he was like on camera sort of fomenting things. And so there was this idea that he was a Fed. He denies it. I mean, I don't really know for sure, to be honest with you. But um, he went way beyond what the evidence justifies because, of course, he did. That's what Tucker Carlson is. And uh, Ray Epps had threatened to sue him for defamation as well. Um, And, you know, this is someone who's not a public person who says he's getting death threats and whatever from Tucker Carlson and others who have... um, created this narrative around him so there was that piece in the tucker carlson firing as well um so there's and and disney is saying their free speech rights were impinged by ron DeSantis. oh in, i forgot in, about in that florida one. so there's i forgot like a, about that one a million you know instances where uh mark's expertise becomes super central right at this moment yeah so i'm super excited for that but before we get to that um i know that we have a new speaking of tucker there's a new Tucker video that just dropped of him like this was not being recorded. He didn't think this was being recorded or he thought, you know, this was a pre-show type deal. And uh, he's talking to him, talking to Andrew Tate before his interview with Andrew Tate. And there's some. Actually, he's not talking to Andrew Tate. He's talking to his own producers who are trying to persuade him that rather than wearing his like normal suit and tie or whatever he normally wears, that he should wear a sweater for this interview and he's pushing back on that, but also he makes some pretty revealing comments about the state of Fox News's live stream play, which is called Fox Nation. Take a listen. I, I don't want to be a slave to Fox Nation, which I don't think that many people watch anyway. Um, we're going to uh, because I, 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 you know, I'm like a representative of the American media now speaking to an exile in Romania and welcoming him back into the brotherhood of journalists. Yeah, it would help us out if you wore a sweater, though, because we asked him not to wear a suit. Like, he was panicking about it and said, you don't have to. Tucker's going to be looking uh, casual. That's just how our show looks. Is that okay? I mean, this is airing on the nighttime show, and I want it to look official. I don't want it to be like bro talk. And I, and I, you know what I mean? Yeah, but the majority of it, like if we go like 45 minutes, it's going to be for Fox Nation. But nobody's going to watch it on Fox Nation. Nobody watches Fox Nation because the site sucks. So I'd really like to just put the dump the whole thing on YouTube. Um, but anyway, that's just my view. Um, uh, I'm just frustrated with the, in, it, it's hard to use that site. I don't know why they're not fixing it. It's driving me insane. And they're like making like lifetime movies, but they don't they don't work on the infrastructure of the site. Like what? It's crazy. And it drives me crazy because it's like we're doing all this extra work and no one can find it. It's unbelievable, actually. I don't know who runs that site. We're going to play a sizable chunk on the show tomorrow night. That's the plan. And then what it's going to do is drive a lot of people to watch this on Fox Nation. It's going to be a great help to what we're doing over there on TV today. I know, but we're doing our part. We're like working like animals to produce all this content and the people in charge of it, whoever that guy's, whatever his name is, like they're ignoring the fact that the site doesn't work. And it's, I think it's like a betrayal of our efforts. That's how I feel. So I, of course I resent it. It's interesting what these people say when they don't realize that this will get out. Um, Because, I mean, he's seriously trashing Fox (laughs) News there. I mean, I know it's specifically Fox Nation, yeah. but like by extension, it's Fox News. 
He's basically saying, nobody watches this streaming product. Nobody cares. The thing is broken. It sucks. And look, to be fair, that's the truest thing Tucker Carlson has ever said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, he doesn't come off looking bad in this because it's just like actual facts. Um, the f- thing that is funny in terms of the ending of the story is he did, in fact, get pressured into wearing the sweater that he apparently didn't want to wear for the Andrew Tate interview. So he did buckle under pressure. I, I don't the understand. Of choices of the executives. Can you explain that to me a little better? Because I don't even understand what went on with this sweater thing. Like, it, it, why a sweater? Who cares? Like, it what's... just was like a, a debate, a sartorial debate over what the right vibe would be for this Andrew Tate interview, given the fact that it was going to be on Fox Nation, which is supposed to be a little more low-key, I guess, than the Fox News official primetime show, but it was also going to air in the primetime show. And so his producers were apparently pushing him to wear this sweater. Anyway, so it's wait, not really it, important. It, so it was... <laughs> Andrew Tate's agent or Tucker's agent? No, I think it's Tucker, Tucker's producers. Oh, I was thinking it was Andrew Tate's agent. I was like, why is Andrew Tate's that would agent be weird. insistent? On, on a sweater, that would be strange. If you're yeah. like, I'll do the interview, but only if this person wears humiliating attire. <laughs> and by the way, what's with his weird, very wooden office that he put into his home? You That's... know, for his like, yeah. That's the Fox Nation set, which is like, yeah, it's like wood on wood on wood. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's like... I I don't like it either. Don Jr. has taken pictures where he's like chopping wood and wearing a flannel shirt like Al Borland in Home Improvement trying to look like Manly. And Rachel Maddow has done the same thing, like a photo shoot wearing a flannel shirt like chopping wood. And then you got Tucker Carlson took some goofy pictures where he was sitting sitting in a flannel shirt in the like wood on wood on wood room. And it's like... Is this what you guys think, like, the everyman is like in America? Like, this is your perception of, quote-unquote, the everyman, like, the average American, flannel and wood on wood on wood? I don't understand where that perception came from. If you want to do the everyman in America, go eat a Big Mac. That's the everyman. Go watch football and eat a Big Mac, and then you're doing an everyman in America impression. Or just, like, don't try to be something that you're not also. Right, but yeah. I think, I don't know, if I was to get into a set, I think they think it reads as, like, masculine. I don't know. But anyway, and none of that is But it doesn't, it doesn't but read as masculine. If I can, if I can make a, a business point, a media business point here, though, I mean, the, the revelation, none of these news outlets, MSNBC, CNN, and Fox News, They've all now tried their hand at some sort of streaming play um, because they know that, like, the cable news business model is kind of on its last legs. Not to say it doesn't have a lot of power, not to say it's not going to be with us for a long time, but they can see the numbers, they can see the cord cutters, they can see what direction things are going in. And in every instance, what they've tried to do has been a total failure and disaster. None of them are really uh, CNN Plus. Obviously, imploded almost Biggest instantly, failure. like Biggest before failure. it even reached escape velocity or anything near near to it. It just completely instantly collapsed. So there was that one. MSNBC's thing is just kind of hobbling or along. Fox News. None of these outlets will give you real numbers on how many people watch. So you just have to sort of assume that it's a total failure. And so to hear Tucker just be like, let's be real. No one is going to watch this on Fox Nation because no one watches Fox Nation. And even if people wanted to watch Fox Nation, the shit doesn't even work right. And they can't even find the stuff on Fox Nation. So what we should really only care about is either putting it on YouTube, which was interesting, or, um, you know, the pieces that are going to actually play in primetime on cable news. So yeah, it, it's not really that embarrassing for him other than the part that he does get coerced into wearing the sweater he didn't want to wear, but it looks very bad for Fox News. So we actually don't have any Fox Nation numbers? We don't know no. any of their numbers? No, it's not like, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are probably, I, there maybe there's some sort of way to guesstimate, but 
No, not really. And same thing with um, MSNBC's streaming thing. What do they call it? Peacock or whatever their thing is. Um, they don't. They really cherry pick to the extent that they publicize any numbers. They really massage the data, and there's no transparency around how these things are actually performing. It's not like Nielsen, where there's public ratings that you can view and take a look at. It's amazing that Fox can be so dominant in one forum, namely like number one in cable news forever since they launched. But then they try to get into like the digital world. And it's like not only are they failing, like Tucker said, if the site can't even work right. You know what I mean? It gives you like a new appreciation. Just the fact that like YouTube works 99% of the time, 99.9% .9 of the time. It's like, wow, it's amazing that this isn't crashing every four seconds considering there's like a trillion people on it on a regular basis. It, it is it is astonishing to me that somebody could that like as an organization, they could be so dominant in one way. But then in another way, it's like you guys are worse than Bush League. You guys are be amateur beyond amateur. You know, like you can't hold a candle to me and you babbling here you know what i mean it's just it's it's very strange yeah well and to the extent anybody was watching fox nation i have no doubt that tucker was the biggest draw over there so you don't think it's uh tomato lorenzo the um barbie <laughs> bush bush lover barbie i don't know well, i'm they, trying to come they, up with nicknames for <laughs> i don't know if they still have this but a Ainsley used to do like a Bible study show or something oh, on Sundays oh, on there too. And oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I can't really tell you what the programming lineup is. At Ainsley this point, did but, a Bible study. <laughs> but I know Tucker was what they really like leaned into in terms of their promotion for Fox Nation. And I have to think again that to the extent anyone was watching anything over there, he was probably a big chunk of it. So yeah, and it was just on YouTube, right? Fox Nation. It was just on YouTube that people were watching it. It wasn't on Fox Nation. I mean, I'm saying to the extent anybody paid for Fox Nation and actually was participating in the Fox Nation universe, it was probably for You're Tucker. Right. But even that, clearly, in his opinion, that was a very limited extent as well. Yep. There you go. All <laughs> right, guys. So without further ado, let's jump into an interview I'm really looking forward to. Here's Mark Bankston. All right. Pleasure to have with us here uh, attorney Mark Bankston. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Oh, it's great to be here, guys. So there's a, about a million things I want to talk to you about. I was very excited for this interview beforehand. I was telling Crystal behind the scenes. She could attest to that. Um, but let's start with, like, you know, the obvious one, the elephant in the room. Let's start with the Alex Jones case. I know this, is, right. a little, this is a little bit in the past now, and we can get to, like, Fox News and all that stuff, Smartmatic, Dominion, et cetera. But that, that was one I watched very, very carefully, and, um, I, you know, I had so many thoughts about it. But I'm just, I'm just like... I'm a layman. I'm not as well versed in defamation law as you are. So I don't know if my opinions are actually like reflected in the law or if it's very different from my interpretation. So let's start with this. My understanding of the case, and by the way, you did a phenomenal job in that case. I just want, and I think people watching this probably know because I'm sure I've covered uh, some of your moments in there. But um, so my understanding is Alex Jones lost by default, which, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of it is he didn't really like. Um, listen to the court and provide the documents that he was legally required to provide. So after a while, after giving him multiple chances, they were like, all right, you know what? You lose. <laughs> and so, um, so is that correct? Number one, number two. Um, yeah. Just tell me, tell me how that works. Losing by default versus losing, you sure. know, going to the end sure. of the trial, et cetera. I mean, what you said is, is mostly correct. Although it sort of, uh, I guess, understates the scope of what really happened there. Um, and, and really it's, it's there, 
the idea of a defendant being defaulted because he's not cooperating with the court is actually not that rare. It happens quite okay. a bit. Um, but in this case, it took forever for it to happen. And and the reason is, is I think very wisely, uh, the both judges in this case understood that if you if you default Alex Jones too early, he's going to be able to claim, oh, I was railroaded. Um, you know, I, mm. I uh, they, this is an unfair system and it, it denied me a trial and all of this. So it actually took four years to get to that point. Um, and, and they gave him every chance in the world to comply with the instructions of the court. And it wasn't just that he ignored the court. He literally thumbed his nose at it. And, and that was the real problem is that, you know, at some point a court just gets sick of having its orders ignored. Um, so after four years, we were able to establish, I mean, the thing is, is you just had to catch Alex Jones in his lies. That was, that was the name of the game from the start of the case. Uh, and once we were far enough along, we realized that he wasn't going to be producing most of the, the most basic materials in the case. I mean, we're not talking about he was having, not, didn't comply with some very obscure court orders. Uh, uh, these, these things that he didn't comply with were the most basic elements of the case. So we, we were lacking some of the most basic evidence you would normally have in a lawsuit like this. And so when that was done, they said, no, that's it. You've lost your chance to come into court because it would be unfair if, if the evidence hasn't been disclosed for you then to be able to make arguments to the jury. Um, one of the things that I think people do miss on this, though, is that he was given a chance to assert his full First Amendment defense. And he had appeals up to the Texas Court of Appeals and the Texas Supreme Court, um, who I think you can look at the composition of the Texas Supreme Court and say that that's not exactly a left wing institution. <laughs> um, and, and that court said, no, go pound sand. You're going to trial. Wow. Interesting. Wow. So that's so that's how we ended up in that trial. So talk a little bit about using the Alex Jones case as a model for you as a lawyer when you're approaching these defamation cases, especially involving um, public people where there's you know a higher standard. How do you assess whether this is going to be a good case or not? What were the pieces here with regard to Alex Jones and Sandy Hook? That made you feel like, okay, this is something that we can pursue. You know, where does that legal bar actually sit? Right. That's a good question because I think some of that will uh, aid our conversations later about certain right-wing pundits who are threatening defamation suits against each other. Um, <laughs> and, and one of the things that we looked at in this case is we had to make sure right off the bat that there were the certain elements there. That particularly with our clients, that Jones had particularly mentioned them, that they were specifically identified and harassed. Um, we, we weren't so much interested in just taking a case that was, oh, I'm a Sandy Hook parent. I don't like what Alex Jones said generally about Sandy Hook. Um, we really focused on people who suffered specific damages, who Alex Jones either told massive lies about them specifically or led harassment campaigns against them specifically. Um, and, and you'll know that, that the two of the families that I was representing, one of them was a man who had, from the very beginning, had tried to get Alex Jones's content taken off the internet about Sandy Hook. Another was a man who went on national television to try to say, please stop. And Jones turned around and said he was lying about holding his child. So we knew we had real damages. And then you raised the interesting question too of, of public figures. And for your audience who may not be into defamation actions, basically what this means is that if a person is a public figure, if they uh, are heavily involved in the discussions of the day, if they're a celebrity or even say somebody who has decided to uh, make themselves an activist, this sort of thing, um, you actually have to prove a higher standard of fault. You have to prove that whoever made the, the defamation about them did it knowing it was wrong or having substantial doubts about that truth. Uh, just simple negligence won't do it. 
But one of the things we looked at in this case is, are these parents public figures? And the courts have come down and said, no, they're not. You know, th this was a case where they didn't choose to be in the position they were in. They didn't thrust themselves into a debate about whether their children were real, right? None of that was uh, something that they brought into their lives. That all ended up at their doorsteps. Mm -hmm. And so really Alex Jones wants to say that they're public figures because there's a controversy, a controversy about whether Sandy Hook is real. And I use that in quotes because there, there is obviously no controversy. Um, but those parents never wanted to be part of that controversy. Mm. So we were only, the, the thing is, we only had to prove that Alex Jones was negligent. But at the end of the day, it, it sort of doesn't matter because the evidence we put in front of that jury was that they absolutely knew what they were saying was false. I mean, I think that's an important thing to walk away from from this case is that when Alex Jones started saying stuff like there are pictures of the kids who are really alive and they said they were dead. He knew that was a lie. He, he never thought that was true for a second. I mean, it was a, it, it, it harkens actually, you know, to, to some of the disclosures that we're seeing in the Dominion and Fox cases of, of it's a new type of defamation when you have people who are calculatedly making statements that they know are false. And they're doing so because they think it'll be, it'll be commercially beneficial for them. Mm. And, and that is really the difference that I see in terms of the defamation cases that I grew up learning in law school versus the kind of defamation cases we see today. Mm. I mean, it's a total so transformation. So hmm. watching you in the process of the trial, I actually learned a lot more because I thought I had followed the case pretty closely. But, you know, after watching you, I learned a lot more. You actually moved my opinion on it even more because I was under the impression he actually never mentioned any of the parents uh, by name and that he just sort of generally spread the conspiracy that, oh, I think this is fake and, you know, crisis actors and all that stuff. But no, he actually did mention them by name or certainly and again correct me if i'm wrong certainly like his surrogates on the infowars network mentioned these people by name i think even one time put up an address or something it did lead to targeted harassment and so i guess my question is i know that this was a civil trial but like were there grounds for a criminal trial as well and if so hmm. why didn't that come to pass it's it's really interesting you should say that because um look there, there is a criminal element here um, and in fact, one of the stories that came out of this trial was we had a punitive damage finding where the jury said he should be, in addition to the, the millions that should be paid to the parents uh, for their own damages, that, that Jones should have to pay $45 million in punitive damages for what he did. Um, and, and in Texas, we have a cap on punitive damages, and it says you can only keep a certain amount of them. But that cap doesn't apply when there's criminal conduct involved. And so what we argued in this case and successfully got a ruling from this court is there's a Texas penal code statute and it's 2204 and it says that you cannot intentionally commit emotional injury against a disabled person. And in this case, disabled also means person who's been suffering from PTSD. So when Alex Jones knew that these parents were suffering, that they were in deep emotional grief and he intentionally caused them further emotional injury, that's a crime in Texas. Now, the reason that didn't turn into a criminal case is because there's a lot of things that Alex Jones has done that are arguably crimes, but prosecutors have to kind of pick and choose what they do. Um, and, and I think, look, a, a prosecutor wants to let this private dispute get settled privately, uh, doesn't want to put the thumb of the state on the scale, right? And so we were the ones who sort of vindicated that. Um, but, but at the end of the day, there's, there's some sense of frustration with me is that, you know, look, after these text messages came out, 
after we saw him lie on the stand. I mean, there's no question to any rational person who was watching that, that Alex Jones committed aggravated perjury. I mean, like that's, it's, it's yeah. pretty extreme for a lawyer to feel like I can say right here on your show that this man committed a crime. The, the facts are right in front of us. Anybody can watch the testimony. The man intentionally deceived under oath. And, you know, maybe he's not going to pay criminal consequence for that. Um, it sort of falls to us civil lawyers to make sure that, that he ends up paying for this. And, uh, you know, you, you were talking about how this case was a long time ago. It's not for me. I'm still in bankruptcy court dragging this guy through the mud. Um, and and we're, uh, we, we, will, we will deliver an ending to the story for you in due course. It's coming. Talk a little bit more about that, because when you um, when you get involved in a case like this, obviously the number one priority is to deliver some modicum of justice, um, not that such a thing is even possible for these parents who have already lost so much. But do you also think about what this means for the broader media landscape? Um, you know, there are echoes with what's going on with Fox News, as you pointed out, that they felt like, you know, they needed to lie. They wanted to lie for the sake of the business and the ratings, et cetera. And, you know, the truth that they what they knew to be true, consequences be damned. So do you think about that larger context of like this will perhaps on the margins, on the edges, or even in some central way, dissuade um, media organizations and large, powerful, you know, uh, commentators or whatever you want to call it, Alex Jones, um, will it dissuade them from going down a similar path? Is that part of what you're thinking about as you're- Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. when, when I first took the case, that was forefront of my mind, was, you know, and you get these ideas. I mean, look, this was four years ago of, Oh, you know, enterprising young plaintiff's lawyer is going to save and solve the fake news problem. Right? That's, that's what you think right off the bat. And then you get deeper into this thing and you start to realize, like, look, when I'm taking this case, I am in contact and have access to talking to the smartest people in this country about this problem. And I'm going to tell you, they have no clue what to do. They are absolutely <laughs> clueless. And, and, you know, you, you get... You get you start to see some things that look to me very illiberal. You start to look at some stuff of, of wanting to really shackle and constrain speech. And, and I don't necessarily think that that's the answer. Look, I, I, I think for people like Alex Jones who have skin in the game, who are making millions upon millions upon millions with this scam, that that financial accountability is the answer as you make other people hesitant to do that. Um, it, it's interesting when my clients are going to trial, you know, I, I worried so much about them. You're bringing these Connecticut folks down to Texas, you know, to Alex Jones' backyard. And it was brave for them to come down there. But constantly on their mind was this idea that the country is depending on them, that the weight of the country is on their shoulders. And, and I'm, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's, that should not be a pressure you have to bear. Um, but they, they were thinking about it too. And, and so when I saw... Look, when I saw Fox's lawsuit and I saw what was coming out in the Dominion lawsuit, I saw very similar things happening in that lawsuit, you know, of, of people internally talking about the things we were saying are bullshit. They knew it. And, and to see these suits keep coming. Yeah, I think there's some change in the air. And, and I hope that it stays in the courtroom. Right. I, I'm, I'm growing increasingly concerned about the effects on public discourse by this idea that we must stamp out misinformation. Right. Because mm. once you start doing that, once you start putting that control lever in there and it's outside of a court of law, that is rife for abuse. And I think we all know that that long term is going to be used more towards left wing voices than it is right wing voices. It, that's that's the reality. Of this yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you make it, you raise an interesting point because if somebody, and this is a good question to ask, if somebody just, uh, who has, genuinely believes it but is wrong spreads the Sandy Hook conspiracy, right, as terrible as that is, that's definitely protected speech. The thing that made it criminal in the case of Alex Jones was bringing up their names, in some instances bringing up addresses, the targeted harassment, the fact that he then knew about the consequences of it but still moved forward anyway, the fact that one of these people ended up committing suicide as a direct result of of all this happening. Do you agree with me on that? That, like, yeah. we that's, have to that, sort of... That's the rub right there. That's that's really yeah. where the rubber meets the road is that, you know, I, I was like you when I first got contacted by my clients. I had thought, oh, Alex Jones has probably offhand a few times entertained the idea that Sandy Hook was fake and that he made. And so I was sort of looking at it with a skeptical eye. And I didn't realize that over that 10 year period that we're talking like 150 episodes on Sandy Hook. We're, you know, we, we are, it became an obsession inside the company because they saw the traffic spike that happened wow. whenever they did these stories. And so it was Alex completely doubling down on this. And it was the reason it kept up for so long is because when the parents started complaining, for instance, when Lenny Posner got a YouTube strike against the channel, that became a legitimate financial threat to Jones. So at this point, those parents became his enemy because they were a financial threat. That was a part of the maliciousness. And to me, that's that's where it really is. The difference is there is plenty of people, even those with large enough platforms who should be more responsible, who are spreading things that are just absolutely false. Uh, but it'd be sort of hypocritical to be talking about those things as though that was the big problem when we have, you know, one of our, you know, our, our big cable news networks are run by the largest weapons manufacturer, or the largest media conglomerate. And and you're going to tell me you don't see fake things there. Right. Yeah. It's it's. It's really about the organizing principle for how the information is delivered. And when you look at something like InfoWars, and now when you look inside at Fox News, you see something qualitatively different than what most people who are trying to do news are trying to do. And that is what has to be stopped. That's the real poison. Because anything else, now you're just chasing phantoms. If you want to try to get everybody on the internet who ever said something false about Sandy Hook, good luck. Because yeah, right. we live in a sick media ecosystem where it was able to spread. That yeah. media ecosystem is what needs to be solved, not not individual users on Twitter. Right, that's not well, where it is. Yeah, that's that's all such. Um, those are all such great points. And let's drill down on it a little bit more. You know, with regard to the cable news networks and uh, what emerged in the Dominion lawsuit, what we're able to see, where you've got these hosts and producers explicitly behind the scenes being like, "This is hey, bullshit." Crystal. Crystal, yeah. you mind if I just cut you off one second? Because I have one more on Alex I want to get oh, to sure. before we get to Fox News. <laughs> sure. Okay, sorry, yeah, I, I can't. I can't let it go. Um, a very simple question, and it might, it's kind of a dumb question, but I still don't know the answer. All right. What, hap what happens if he doesn't pay? Uh, <laughs> there's some, mm. some really good answers to that depending on exactly how this shakes out, right? So basically right now he's in bankruptcy. He can try to come up with a bankruptcy plan, which is, in other words, a way to discharge his debts. And if it's acceptable to the families, then that becomes a dischargeable deal. He starts paying right? If he doesn't do that and we're out of bankruptcy, now we're into just straight collections where we're talking about having marshals go seize his property, where we wow. go up and show up at the InfoWars studio and just start selling off the equipment right there on the spot. Wow. Um, so he doesn't have a lot of good options going forward. And if he doesn't pay after, look, a person doesn't pay in your normal life. Yeah, you can ruin their credit. A person is under supervision of a bankruptcy court and doesn't pay. Yeah, that's when the sheriff starts showing up at their property and starts taking things. Um, and so we're going to see how Alex Jones wants this to end. 
right? If, if he wants to end this in a way that's acceptable to these families, um, the entire families are all a group and they will make that decision if that's going to be acceptable. And he's going to have to come up and make that acceptable. If not, Alex Jones is going to have a very unpleasant few years. Um, and that is, it's different than say, you know, I know you're probably familiar, for instance, with the civil judgment against OJ Simpson, which has been an absolute nightmare to collect because he's just an individual guy. But Alex Jones has a corporate presence. He has a business. And mm. that business has assets that you can just walk in the front door and take. And, and so if it comes to that, that may be what it comes to. Um, I'm, I'm actually hopeful that a bankruptcy court will be able to put Alex Jones under conditions to pay these families to finally give them what they're earned. Um, but it's, it's really still up in the air. So there's still, uh, there's still some drama left to come in the Alex Jones case. Wow. Gotcha. Um, that is all incredibly <laughs> wild. So let's drill in a little bit more on Fox News. And in particular, as I was saying, what we learned um, as they were going through discovery and things were being made public is there was clearly a private position and a public position. And also some of what was revealed is they had a very clear business incentive. They're freaking out in real time about like, ah, the ratings are tanking and Newsmax is eating our lunch and we got to do something about this. And you see them make this turn from originally trying to tamp down some of the conspiracies to kind of letting it, you know, let their freak flag fly <laughs> across the network on a variety of programs. Where does the line actually exist, though? Because I think about, obviously, you know, Fox News is not the only cable news network to traffic in misinformation. And I think, for example, about MSNBC, which had a ratings juggernaut in getting way out over their skis on Russiagate and making a lot of um, claims and insinuations that were way beyond the justifiable facts. And I think it's pretty clear to anyone with a brain that they were doing that because it juiced ratings. I mean, you had Rachel Maddow on night after night after night spinning, you know, her tales of this elaborate conspiracy. You had them um, leaning on this steel dossier, which ends up being uh, almost wholly fabricated. You have Chris Hayes doing segments of like, what if Donald Trump was a Kremlin asset since 1987 or whatever? We don't have the same messages from behind the scenes of being like, we have to lean into this because it's a business model and it's our ratings, but I wouldn't be shocked if they exist. So, you know, where's the line between leaning into something that you know your audience wants um, and actually crossing that line into something that is, you know, could be considered defamatory and yeah. could be considered, you know, yeah. beyond the pale. Yeah. And it's, it's, I'm really glad you brought up MSNBC on this because one of the points I wanted to make about this is like, look, it, it, there's no question that American journalism is in crisis right now. There's no question that corporate journalism in particular is a mess. And some of those things you identified are right up that alley. But what we see with Fox is so qualitatively different in that, look, you, you take some of the things that NBC, like you say, got over their skis on. And, and you're talking about things like relying on that steel dossier and, and, and really a failure of basic newsroom practices of there's just not enough budget and, and desire and motivation to actually track some of these stories and to get the facts right. And you, you go for the sensational because it's right in front of you. But there is a big difference between, all right, let's, let's take the steel dossier on its face, which you have by all credible accounts. He's a real guy. He's a real intelligence guy. Like he's not just some nut off the... But you look at the, the Sidney Powell affidavits and the things that were being said about Hugo Chavez getting with Smartmatic to, <laughs> you know, like, it's just, it's, it's so off planet that everybody inside of Fox News, anybody who was, who was a respectable person who had half a brain on their shoulders, knew that this was absolute garbage, 
right? This wasn't an embellishment of a story. This wasn't getting lost in the sauce because you're just so ideologically into this idea that maybe Donald Trump's a Russian agent, right? Because at the end of the day, you go back and you look at some of this Russiagate stuff and there's some smoke there. They just took that smoke and they, they, they blew their story by, by making it more than what it was, right? right? You look at what's going on in Fox and this was what was going on in InfoWars. Like we, we, we'd, we'd look at an, an email we'd get produced very early in the InfoWars case. And it would be from Jones's editor saying, this Sandy Hook stuff is killing us. This is a total BS. It's, it's, it's being pushed by the most crazy people out there. We know it's BS. We got to stop it. And we thought, wow, this is so different. This is, this is smoking gun evidence that you would never see in a defamation case. And then we get to the Fox case and they have the same emails, <laughs> the same thing. And, and, and for this time, I had thought that InfoWars is this uniquely different thing, this mm. uniquely different scam. And now I'm realizing it's just Fox News on a smaller scale with just one guy benefiting and, and selling the supplements. Fox is doing essentially the same thing. And that's terrifying to me is because, you know, th there's a lot of criticism to be leveled at places like MSNBC. There's a lot of criticism that needs to be leveled all over the media. Be people need to get on y'all when y'all get off on the weird, t you know, things like that. Like everybody needs to have that criticism there. But, but I'm getting to the point where I believe that some media organizations and Fox is certainly one of them is just functionally a bad business is not a, a good thing is an unqualified public bad. And for a while, I just thought that was sort of the InfoWars universe, the gateway pundits, the, the things like that. Yeah. Um, and now I'm realizing that there is big money behind this. And I, I really think, unfortunately, the success of things like InfoWars and the success of things like Fox News have unfortunately influenced other media organizations. I, I guarantee you MSNBC today looks way more like Fox News than it did 10 years ago. And, and yeah, that's dangerous. Right. That's really, really dangerous when you have that many people plugged into it. And, I, you well, know, my big hope has been that less and less people are watching cable news. Yes. And that same, more and more people same. are watching things like this online. That's what I'm hopeful for. Well, and Fox News, Kyle, is very clear in what they said. Like, they see themselves, even as they're still this giant ratings juggernaut, way bigger than MSNBC, CNN, whatever, they got really freaked out when they saw Newsmax and One American News Network eating into their share. And yeah. so they feel like they're in an arms race with like the Alex Jones and the Newsmax and the One American News Networks of the world as well. And they used that to justify complete insanity. Yeah. So is my my like gut feeling on this has always been that like intentions really matter legally. So, for example, Somebody on air at Fox News or Fox Business or whatever who may have, like, actually drunk the Kool-Aid and really believes, like, Sidney Powell is spitting facts or whatever, <laughs> isn't that a bit of a legal defense for somebody like, let's say, Janine Pirro, who might do some of this election denialism, versus somebody like Tucker, who we have the emails and the text messages where he's like, Trump is a demonic force, I hate him with a burning passion, all this <laughs> stuff is fake. But I'm going to push it anyway. <laughs> Am I correct in that those actually are fundamentally different cases where it's easier to go after somebody like Tucker? Because by virtue of the fact he's lying, you can prove there's malice there and defamation versus somebody like Janine Pirro who might actually believe it in all sincerity. Exactly. Yeah, no, you've hit it on the head. And it really comes down to the fact that we're talking about voting companies, right? Places who who I mean, they, they are. I don't I don't like to subscribe to that view that corporations are people, but that's what the law says. And they are public figures, right? If you think about what Smartmatic and Dominion are, the, it, we need to be able to talk about them in a free way, 
right? Because if, if, if you have too tight of a grip over how you can talk about the companies who are controlling your voting systems, that's clearly not good, right? But if you get to a point where you are now knowingly lying about that, that makes a difference. Now, if this is some, pri if, if this is, you know, mom and pop bakery and you're lying about them, then if you do that negligently, you need to pay consequences for that because they have, there's no right for you just to talk about some private figure like that. But with these companies, I do think like that's kind of the danger that I keep emphasizing here. It's super important to be able to talk about potential malfeasance by voting companies. That is absolutely critical to our democracy. But now I feel that because this has happened where a company maliciously lied about voting systems, right? Now we're going to have more chilled speech in the future about these sorts of issues. Mm, and, and I see what you're I don't, saying. I don't really think that there's a problem with voting machines in this country, but how do I know 30 years from now there won't be? Right. Mm. right. And, and just yeah. that chill that that's sort of like why defamation in major media is is a problem beyond those who it damages. It, it, it stretches throughout the that's media. A really, that's a really interesting point, because I remember I'm stretching my uh, my memory to recall the details of there was some left wing or left of center chatter about voting machines in Ohio when Bush gets reelected. Debold, the Debold. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah, that's right. And there was mm -hmm. like, didn't Cheney have a financial interest or something like that? And so now you wonder like, okay, if something like that re reoccurs, are people going to be afraid to talk about it? If there is some potential there, there because of what has happened now with, with Fox and Dominion. And I, I, I am curious from you, Mark, like, we will never know now because they settled. But if it did go to trial, what do you think the outcome was going to be? And what were some of the key issues that this was going to really turn on? I don't, it's hard to say because, because this is one of those, it's hard to value because it's going to depend on the sentiments of your individual jurors. I think that there was a, a genuine chance that they would have beaten the Sandy Hook verdicts. I think you could have seen a multi-billion dollar judgment against Fox. I think that's possible. But I think it's also possible that a jury would come back and say, oh, yes, they were really bad and awful and they lied and did all of this. And here's a hundred million dollars, which to that jury is more money than they could ever think of. And that they think that that's a good result. And you could also have a jury who comes back and says, I'm simply not regulating political speech. It's not going to happen. And mm. we'll, we'll let Fox walk out of there with zero. What I think was interesting about the Dominion case is that by virtue of the discovery that they had collected, I mean, this is what's wild. We all read that summary judgment motion that Dominion filed, which was all the text messages that they had released. That is the tip of the iceberg. That is mm. what they were allowed to release under the protective order. That was the stuff that wasn't confidential and didn't contain proprietary Fox information. Apparently, the reason that this whole case settled is because they had them into a corner that if they went to trial, the, the information that would come out during the trial would have been so profoundly damaging to Fox that it could have been more damaging than the verdict itself. Um, and it's that's a damn shame. It's a damn we see shame. That more and more. And I know <laughs> part of it, I've seen a lot of people talking about like, God darn it, Dominion. Why couldn't you just take him to trial? You, you know, right. what? <laughs> you know, just do it, take a trial. And I had to say like, it's not Dominion. Look, Dominion's a corporation. They're there to take care of their shareholders. They're not there to right. save the country or anything. And, you know, I guess you can't, it's, it's not on them. And, and so I don't know. It's like, it, it goes back to what I was saying. Plaintiff's lawyers aren't going to save us from this because they're there for their clients. Right? Yeah. And, and God, I would have loved to see that trial though. Oh my Can God. Can you yes. imagine having to see Tucker testify on the witness stand about some of this in the middle <laughs> of the oh. oh. So 
I mean, so, you talk about me. I had this dream moment with Jones where he says I have a Perry Mason moment with him. But, you know, and that's the most, like, every lawyer in the country is like, I'm so jealous of you. Can you imagine the person who gets to do Tucker live in front of a Oh, guy? my God. Yeah. See, I, would, I, never, I, would, I would vote I for you to do my, that. I want you to do that. I never got my hopes up because I knew they were not going to let their primetime stars have to parade across the witness stand and open themselves yeah. up to God you knows know what? what, testifying they're also, under oath. I just knew that they would settle at whatever price it But they're to also arrogant. Them. They're also arrogant too, Crystal. And like, I don't think Alex Jones had any idea that Mark had a team of people apparently watching Alex Jones around the clock. And then like the next day when Jones is sitting there, he plays the tape of Alex the day before basically saying that like the judge is a demon or something like that. (laughs) Like he had video, like Jones would say something, then Mark would be like, click and just show him saying the opposite on his show yeah like let's roll the tape <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. we and then you don't think you're going to get that lucky to have a defendant who's saying that the the judge is a pedophile demon the jurors are all <laughs> blue collar idiots who don't know what planet they're on you know all this you know the idea you're on trial for defamation that's essentially an, an issue of like harassment terrorism and here you are doing it to the judge like having in real time in real in time, time right and at least, at least Fox would have had their stuff together a little bit more than that. But what I noticed Fox's true weakness was is they had too many prima donnas lined up who all kind of hate each other. Right? Yes. One of the things the text messages show is all these people don't like each other. And they all don't, they, to keep them all on the same page, it would have been a clown show. They could never yeah. do it. And so they, you know, I think they, they made the right decision, Fox did. Because what's frustrating, I don't know if y'all saw this report coming out of the lever um, that David Sirota does. But that Fox is probably going to get to claim about two hundred and fifty yeah. million of that in tax. We break. did. We saw and that. that is, yeah. You know, I, I'm kind of glad with Alex Jones here in the bankruptcy. I feel like we've got a tight noose on him. We're, we're in control of the situation. But in so many cases in the law, um, the rich and powerful are able to skirt off with a slap on the wrist by being able to take advantage of situations and and essentially foot us with the bill. Think about that. U.S. taxpayer is going to be paying a lot of that Dominion uh, settlement. Well, and also. Think about the fact that their stock took way more of a hit after they announced that Tucker was fired. The guy who was, you know, spinning know. a lot of this and implicated in a lot of this, losing him was more of a hit to their bottom line, apparently, than all of these election lines. The of course, they're still... I mean, the settlement, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's I mean, really they're still something. Smartmatic out there, and they still have some other legal jeopardy. And actually, I, I don't know, how, how closely have you dug into whatever claims they've made against Smartmatic? Because I'm not actually too familiar with, like, the contours of what that case is going to look like. So I'm actually... I probably I probably shouldn't talk too much about Smartmatic today. I'm, I've I've actually um, I've, I've spoken with Smartmatic's lawyers and I've been Ooh. talking with them. Um, yeah, some and new, fresh news. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they've got some good claims. And part of part of what's fun about Smartmatic is it's not just Fox. Uh, they've they've actually decided to go after some of the weirdos in the the sort of Fox um, orbit. You know, uh, they've got these really good claims against Mike Lindell. And to see Mike Lindell put through the ringer is going to be fun. Um, I feel like Lindell, though, maybe really believed it. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he did. But he used the resources of my pillow company to do a bunch of things. And Uh, the standard of what my pillow company believes as opposed to Mike Lindell is a very different standard. Uh, Yeah. So so let me ask you about then um, Ray Epps and I believe her her last name is Grossberg. I'm blanking on her first name who works for Tucker and Abby Grossberg. Okay. What about... So do you, do you know, I know that there also are lawsuits pending on that front going after, one of them is going after Tucker specifically in Fox News, and the, the other one might be the entire Fox News company. Um, 
what's it looking like on that front? Like, are they are yeah. they going to try to settle out of court again, or like, how's that going to go? I, you know, it's interesting, particularly with Tucker now out of the company. Um, those the strategy for those cases is very different because mm. how cooperative are is Fox and Tucker going to be with each other over these cases? You know, Tucker has no personal liability that that is going to mm. be. You know, it's all going to be through Fox contracts and everything that gets paid. What incentive does Fox, does Tucker have to have Fox's back? I don't know. It's it's going to be really interesting. If I'm Fox, I want those cases settled and gone really quickly. Um, and I know that, for instance, you know, they, there was reporting that Rupert Murdoch was very upset with Tucker's reporting on January 6th. And yeah. this idea that, I mean, it's, it's, I think what upset Murdoch about it is you're saying that our viewers, our base, the people who showed up to January 6th and came across the nation actually are federal agents who instigated the thing, you know, and, and the reporting on Ray Epps really bothered him. And so uh, that's another person I've been talking to is, is I know Michael Teeter, who's representing Ray Epps. Um, and that's, that's a legit case. I mean, it's, it's a strange one. You got to think about most defamation cases are, I'm accusing you of, of being a bad guy. I'm accusing you of being a criminal, right? And falsely. And this one, it's wild because you're actually accusing him of being a member of law enforcement who committed a crime, <laughs> who, who created True. an insurrection, right? Illegally, but, but ostensibly he's an FBI agent or he's a good guy doing a bad thing. And it's, it's a really complicated case, but what, what I saw from it is it follows the same formula every time when there's a private person exposed to this kind of stuff, their lives get turned upside down. The, the Fox people will eat their own in a minute. You know, here's all you look at Ray Epps, who's wearing the mega hat and hanging out at JSIC doing he's there to support his president, you know, and then now you have the most fervent supporters of that same president who are threatening his life on a daily basis. I mean, yeah, quite crazy. Well, and just so people, if people haven't followed this particular thread with regards to January 6th, there's a bunch of video of Ray Epps at various sort of like critical junctures of January 6th, him the night before telling right. people like, we got to go in. And actually his fellow like Trump supporting friends there start calling him a fed because they think he's being too aggressive. And then right. actually on the day of January 6th, he's there like encouraging people to go in. And like I said, at some like critical moments. And so this became a key part of the idea that January 6th was basically a false flag, that this was all orchestrated by law enforcement, right. um, by, you know, the deep state. And look, there were uh, feds who had infiltrated the Proud Boys. This is the part that's a little weird to me. It's like, we actually yeah. know from the Proud Boys trial that there were like dozens of fed informants inside the Proud Boys and right. the Oath Keepers also right. fully infiltrated. So it's not like there wasn't, oh, the FBI had nothing to do with it. But what's inconvenient for them is the real issue is like, okay, if you were inside these groups, why didn't you disrupt this? Right. 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 And it was a huge, likely ideological blind spot where they were more interested in the Trump era mission of like, oh, we go, got to go after the left. We got to go after Antifa. We got to go after Black Lives Matter protests than it was any sort of desire to set up a January 6th insurrection. But so anyway, Ray Epps gets caught up in um, the middle of, of this thing. And Tucker, in particular, in terms of cable news hosts, really leaned into this. And um, so, uh, Mark, one question I had on this is, um, with Tucker out of the network now, does that actually provide mm -hmm. the network with some sort of defense of like, oh, well, the guy that was doing that, we, we canned him. He's gone. So, you I mean, know, we, we took care of the problem. Not a legal defense, right? I don't think legally that has any impact, but that has some jury appeal. Right. Any any time a defendant in any case uh, makes 
remedial actions after an injury, right? You, you have a company that makes a defective product. Oh, we've taken that product off the market, right? You have a, um, an employee who, uh, you know, injures somebody on the job negligently. We fired that employee. That, that can help from a jury perspective of them saying, mm -hmm. okay, we, we are going to hit you as hard. Legally, it's meaningless. And mm -hmm. in this particular case, it actually really complicates their defense. Because it's, especially when you have two claims going against them at the same time, you've got, you know, a former employee claim, you've got this defamation claim, you're going to need a lot of cooperation from Tucker and you're not going to get it. And, and that's going to be a big problem for them is, is this, this sort of case. I, I don't know exactly why they fired Tucker. It does seem to be that there were several monumental straws that finally broke Rupert Murdoch's back. Um, yeah. But, but it, it's not convenient for Fox in this situation. Um, I, I would I would be really expecting to see those suits settled relatively quickly. That's my expectation. So we go from cases that I think are pretty serious to ones that are quite frivolous, but I'm curious your opinion on it. Um, okay. Cr Crystal, you had mentioned uh, Candace Owens and Steven Crowder. So they've been sniping back and forth. This all starts from bad blood because Steven Crowder basically accused the Daily Wire of giving him a slave contract for $50 million. <laughs> absurd, absurd. And um, so uh, he went after them, and they did not take kindly to that. Ben Shapiro responded. Jeremy Boring, the CEO, responded. Candace Owens responded. And Candace, Candace in particular has decided, oh, well, I'm going to lead the charge on this. So now we know there's an ugly divorce going on between Steven Crowder and his wife, and you know, some stuff was leaked to the media, and we can go on and on about it. But bottom line is, he says, he said <coughs> Candace Owens is is extorting me because Candace oh, yeah. said, yeah. yeah, Candace said something along the lines of, look, I learned some new stuff about Steven, and I think we should pray for him. I think he's going through a rough time, and uh, I won't say anything else, but if in further defense of the company or myself I need to do it, maybe I'll do it. Um, and so he goes, you're extorting me, and then she fires back and says effectively, like, uh, you're going to retract every word or you're defaming me. I think it was defamation. I don't know. I actually don't yeah, know what she, she accused said, him of. She, said, she yeah. said she had contacted a defamation lawyer right. and they had sent him a cease and desist. <laughs> so, Wasn't me. Wasn't so, me. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> so, my, my sense of all this is it's two absolute idiots who are being overly litigious and uh, they neither one of them has a case. They're just, <laughs> just fighting in the schoolyard. Is that your sense yeah. of it too? I, if, if, if either one of these folks showed up in my office, my first words to them after they told me their story was please get out of my office um, <laughs> yeah these these folks you know what it's, it's it's actually my wife had said this the other night about about this very situation um your goal in life should be to find somebody who loves you as much as any of these right-wing weirdo pundits love threatening defamation suits they <laughs> love it god do they love threatening them but you never they see love them that actually free speech they love yeah that they love the free speech at the same time right but you never see them go forward with them you never see them actually do anything on them it's 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 wild. Like, there's one in the past that I think is really good example of this sort of thing. Is is you actually saw somebody who had the guts to go through with one of these kind of suits? Is when Jesse Ventura sued Chris Kyle and ended up mm. getting money from Chris Kyle for saying that he beat him up in a bar fight. And it's like just because Jesse Ventura had the balls to do it. None of mm. these right wing pundits they're not going to actually do any of this stuff. They always threaten it. But what's funny about this one is is, is both of them are just so completely wrong. You have Candace Owens who says, I know something about this guy's private life and I'm not going to share it, but I might have to share it if he gets crazy. I mean, that's not extortion. If I was to say to you, I'm going to commit you some specified harm unless you give me money, right? That's extortion, right? She never asked Steven Crowder for money as far as I can tell. She just said, hey, I might let a fact slip about your personal life. 
And the other is, is it's not, there's nothing wrong. If I know that you're going through a divorce, I can publicize that fact. There's no st- right, stopping yeah. me from doing that. There are certain facts I can't publicize. There are certain very sensitive things about your life. If I know, for instance, um, uh, like if I knew your HIV status and I was going to disclose that, or if I had pictures of you uh, in an illicit affair, right, and I was to publish those and you're not a public figure, I, that's, that's bad. That's, those, that disclosure is fine. But what she did is there's nothing wrong with it. On, conversely, simply saying Candace Owens is extorting me, all right, let's just take it for a second and say, all right, that's an accusation that she committed a crime and she didn't commit a crime. Where are Candace Owens' damages? How is Candace Owens damaged by any of this? I mean, you, you, you can't have a trial which has an honest appraisal of what Candace Owens' public reputation is. That's not going to go well for her, <laughs> right? Like, that, that's not something a jury's going to find too appetizing. And so this is one of those cases of these people love to generate outrage clicks for themselves. They love to be a part of grievance culture. They love to feel like they're constantly at, the, at their own center of their universe. and they're, But all of it, you're absolutely right. It's just a bunch of sound and fury, a tale told by idiots signifying nothing and and that's it it's it's dominated uh, their particular world for you know for this time period is that this is the that at the end of the day right-wing ecosystems run on drama and they run on this stupid sort of drama and and at one point you're you're tempted to just totally dismiss it but maybe on some level that's why certain left-wing discussions find hard time getting traction in some because there's there's not much less drama. There's there's more of a, a, a an exploration of ideas that tends to not involve personalities and people in conflict. And I wish I could agree with that, Mark. I mean, look, I, it's there. Boy, we is it there. To do that. And, and I think social media has turned it into that. Right? Has really made it that 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 seems to be happening more and more. But on the right, that's all it. There's no content there a lot of the times. It's just simply that. And and I think it's so wild that. I don't think that if you put Steven Crowder and Candace Owens in a room together and had them discuss anything, anything on the planet, that anything productive would come out of it whatsoever. But people will want to watch it. And that that sucks. Right. Well, <laughs> to your point about any damages that Candace Owens, it's quite to the contrary. This is all great for her. It, you know, makes her people click on her videos, makes people click on Steven Crowder's videos. I mean, exactly. I wouldn't say this has been great for Crowder because it's, I mean, it's been highly humiliating, embarrassing for him. But in terms of Candace Owens, yeah, this is nothing but a net benefit to her in terms of her business. I guess if I had to engage in like, you know, is the left more drama free? I will say at least on the left, these sort of like interpersonal beefs they try to filter them through a lens of ideological disagreement, (laughs) even if it is really just ultimately for clicks and to, you know, feed an an algorithm that loves that sort of drama and the, you know, human beings who can't help but click on that kind of drama. They at least try to filter it through some sort of an ideological debate or, or argument to make it more palatable. Yes, exactly. No, I find that, you know, particularly in the online spaces where you see, like, can we go one day online without the left fighting with each other? You know, like there's always that sort of idea. But it, it is that I, I find that it's these, it's this new idea that of personality journalism, that so much of what is being driven is, look, because here's the problem is you can't trust institutions anymore. You can't turn on MSNBC right. and think, oh, they're a multi-million dollar organization, so they're going to have institutional guardrails that are going to be able to produce good content. It's, it's tough when people ask me, for instance, oh, you've been in this space. Tell me a news source that you go to that you trust. And I'm like, don't 
pick a single, you know, you synthesize information out of everything. And in fact, that's why I think online spaces are, are somewhat useful as you have, you can crowdsource reaction to the news. You, you look at what's going on on say left Twitter and you now have a reaction to everything. You can't just go to the Guardian, go to the Daily Beast. You, you, no, that's not gonna work. But the flip side of that is I think we're getting so invested in personality journalism. And I mean, look at, look at what we see with Tucker, right? Is, is here is a person who on every single level that I can calculate is truly vile, but has a dedicated cadre of people who, who worship him and who trust him simply based on their parasocial connection with him. It has nothing more than that. And that's, a, that's dangerous to me. I really think that that's dangerous is I think the more that information gets turned into crowdsourced information and crowdsourced checking and away from personality, I think that's better. Um, but I don't know if you have to make me right now choose between am I going to turn on cable news or am I going to try to sort through what is online personality journalism? I think there's no question right now what's superior. And, and I think the cable news networks realize that and are acting accordingly. Uh, but the, yeah, I think the side fallout is this incredible amount of drama that is drama for pure drama's sake. I mean, it's spectacle. Mm, and the, yeah. there are no two people who better typify spectacle than Candace Owens and Steven Crowder. I mean, these Very people are, are absolute lightweights at the end of the day. And they they know that. That's That's the other thing. You look at somebody like Alex Jones, right? Alex Jones truly believes he is a visionary, believes that he is... So Candace Owen and Steven Crowder both know that they're, they're dumb as bean dip. They know it. They absolutely <laughs> know it. And, and they don't care. They, they have the formula. They know how to do it. Like, it, it's really wild to watch that. I, I, I feel like, darn it, right-wing grift is too easy. It's, it's way, way too oh, easy. Me and Crystal could do it right now that. and make a well, million dollars. You know, because everybody, <laughs> I mean, we've been talking about Don Lemon getting fired at the same time as Tucker Carlson. And, like, Tucker, he's got an audience. If he wants to go and do his thing, I have no doubt he's going to make plenty of money, find plenty yeah. of eyeballs, etc. Right. Um, you know, Don Lemon, I was arguing to, to Sagar. I mean, he, it's not like he was arguing with me. He agreed with me that if he did a, a right-wing, like, a, a, like, conservative identity play, he could find an audience. He would the, yeah. yeah. the new Dave yeah. Rubin. Yeah. The new Dave Rubin. You know, exactly. As a, a gay black man, if yeah. he went into a bunch of anti-trans <laughs> shit, they would be all over him. Uh -huh. I mean, he could certainly get plenty of eyeballs. So, yeah, it's very obvious and easy to find these lanes, even though I don't think Don Lemon, as just like a broadcaster, is particularly talented or interested. I have you no just think that because you're past your prime. You just think yeah, that because you're past your prime. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good point good point <laughs> um so let me uh, i got one more question then i'll turn it over to you crystal if you have any anything else you want to ask to go back to alex jones which is a topic i'm obsessed with um yeah that's like so, me too buddy <laughs> so do you uh so when i've read so in fact, let me interrupt you for just a yeah, second go ahead, here go ahead. i was i was in a hearing with our court and i was having to testify about attorney's fees that i was having to incur in the case because as you know both jones and his attorneys have been sanctioned to have to pay some of the attorney's fees for the families and uh the court was asking me about a certain amount of time that I spent on a, on a project in the case. And I said, I think a reasonable amount of time to spend on that would be 12 hours. Now, I spent way more time than that on it because I have what I'm starting to believe is a bordering unhealthy obsession with this case. Like, I have, <laughs> you get into it so much. So, please, more Alex Jones questions. I could talk about it all day, buddy. Oh, so. actually, yeah, I, I, you just made me think of another one. Remind everybody what happened with his attorney where he's like the dumbest attorney in the history of the world. He like accidentally emailed you personal stuff of Alex's and you were like, oh, cool. <laughs> 
All, all right, because he might he might be watching uh, dumbest attorney in the world or Kyle's words, not mine. I didn't say that. <laughs> um, not not necessarily disagreeing it, but um, uh, what happened there is that yes, an attorney accidentally produced to me the entire contents of Alex Jones' text messages for like two and a half years. Um, like it was oh 19, 20, 2019, 2020 period. And luckily for Alex Jones is though that at the time we thought we had everything up to the present, like it was downloaded in 2021. It, somebody had actually come through and like taken off all the text messages after about August, 2020, which is right when, you know, right in the, the election period and leading up to January 6th. So we didn't have any of that. Um, but we had, we had text messages that just prove he lied through all the case and discovery. And then the attorney was notified. I notified him that he had done this. And the Texas rules give him a 10-day window to request that material back. But this guy wasn't a civil lawyer. He was a criminal lawyer. He really didn't understand how that worked or didn't invoke the rule. And so here I am in the middle of trial where suddenly I have access to all of Jones' text messages. And we're able to question him on the stand about it, catch him in the lie. That attorney in the same disclosure also disclosed to me uh, about... Uh, psychiatric medical records for 10 different Sandy Hook plaintiffs that I don't even represent, right? That he had access to. That is a total violation of confidentiality and protective order. He ended up getting sanctioned for that and and had his license revoked in Connecticut for three months and time to pay some sanctions up there and now facing sanctions in our court. And yeah, this guy had a terrible day. I mean, it was, it was about the worst day you can have as an attorney. Does Alex Jones actually have a case against him for basically like negligent? I um, keep saying that. Yeah. I say, you know who agrees on that? Both me and Roger Stone agree that Alex Jones (laughs) should sue his lawyer. We both said that publicly. Um, But I, you know, I do think that when you're in bankruptcy and you say you're low on assets and you have a potential cause of action against your attorney for blowing all that information for you and doing that. Yeah, I think he should. Um, here's the real problem with malpractice, right? As a, as a idea is that if you're a really bad defendant and you do really bad stuff and then you get a lawyer and he gets to see all the bad stuff you do, you kind of have a disincentive from suing him for malpractice because he has all of your dirty laundry, right? Mm, and so that's a great he, point. He knows where all the bodies are buried. Sometimes, right? Like, yeah, when, when Alex Jones's lawyers probably have a lot of leverage over him more than he has over them. Um, so look, the good thing is I can tell you these attorneys aren't getting away scot-free. I have aggressively pursued sanctions against these attorneys and they are going to be having to pay the family's money directly, which is, is nice. A lot of times that would just come out of Alex Jones pocket, but Jones is in bankruptcy. He can't just approve a payment to his lawyers to pay a sanction. Those attorneys who thought that they were going to come in and profit off of making a circus out of all of this, they're now finding out, no, they're just going to have to pay the family's money. And that's gratifying wow. because now it shows to any future attorney who wants to try to attention seek and try to, you know, make a circus with a client like that. No, you may end up being paying the other side money. Mm. And so it's a, it's a good feeling. There's there's these little nuggets of justice that keep coming out of this case that I'm happy about. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I I just just this last one, because I've been thinking about this a lot. It, there's all sorts of stuff with him. Scam supplements, business fraud stuff you know, doing weird things with the business to try to hide the money away from paying the parents. Yeah. Is there any, do you foresee any potential, potential, you know, criminal charges against him? Or are we stuck in a permanent limbo like we are with Donald Trump, where there's like 17 investigations, but everybody just has no hope that anything is going to actually happen? No, you know, that's the thing I noticed about this guy is he, he doesn't have that Teflon coating that Trump seems to have. Mm. And throughout the course of this lawsuit, I have been repeatedly successful at holding him to account. Um, you know, even before we got to trial, he had already had to pay the families $1.5 million. 
um, through all of the abuses that he had committed. And so now as we're getting down here to the end, I don't know if y'all saw these developments coming out of the bankruptcy where it has suddenly been disclosed that he went and found some third party to go sell advertising on the Infowars site and just pocket that money off the books. Oh. And the bankruptcy court has now gotten wind of it. Um, I can tell you if these developments keep going the way they're going, we're aggressively pushing there. If, if he is over those lines, we're definitely going to try to get him prosecuted. I mean, there's, wow. you don't play around with bankruptcy law. That's just not something you should do. And so I can tell you, we are, we are holding him to the fire. Um, that I was talking earlier about the ways this could end with, with a negotiated bankruptcy plan that basically puts the families in charge of InfoWars' liquidation um, to collecting his assets that way. The other way this could end is with Alex Jones in jail. That is a way it could end. Um, so stay tuned, and uh, hopefully we'll have, we'll have an ending for you pretty soon. Wow. Mark Bankston, man. It's been a pleasure. Sorry, Crystal, you go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm, go ahead. It was great talking to you, Mark. Yeah. Um, I learned yeah. a lot, for sure. For sure, and digging into all of this, and I think we'll have a much more uh, sort of nuanced view of some of these cases that are going to continue to unfold. Yeah, well, one I of my favorite you, guests. One of my favorite guests we had. I appreciate that. Well, I can tell you, you know, when I got out of this trial, I immediately was spammed with invitations to every corporate media type <laughs> thing you could imagine, uh, and I've tried to reject pretty much all of them. Um, but I've, I really do enjoy coming on um, with folks who are trying to push a disruptive viewpoint into politics right now. Um, I like that when I tune into the two of you, I don't always agree with every last thing I see, but I am always challenged by everything. Um, and I think disruptive media is one of the things that is going to maybe save us. Um, and so anyway, just saying it's been a pleasure talking with y'all. Uh, I'd love to come back on and talk about any legal things if, uh, as they're kicking around the news these days. That'd be our pleasure. Thanks for joining us, man. It was Absolutely. awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely.